This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology, and first daily Mormon history podcast. I'm Rick Bennett. We're continuing a conversation with Lynn Whitesides, the first member of the September 6th. We'll talk about her life growing up outside of the church and what it was like to be a convert at BYU at just a young age of 18. You won't want to miss this conversation. Check it out. So let's, let's, let's go back and talk about your growing up. So you grew up, is it Italian Catholic? Or? No, actually my, my grandmother was from Italy, my grandfather was from Germany, and, they, um, my, and my mom grew up with basically immigrants, right? Even okay. though my grandmother, I think, was either her mother was pregnant or she was born here, but... She spoke only Italian until she was in eighth grade. So I grew up with those people. They were my they were my grandparents. I hung out with them. Um, so my grandmother made really just one 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 uh, what's the word uh, concession to my grandfather. She became a Lutheran and okay. let go of, of Catholicism. Okay. So I was raised Lutheran actually. Okay. And then um, and it, it's a long, it's kind of a long story. But my parents uh, moved. A lot when I was a kid. I moved in eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade. Wow. And at some point, I kind of didn't want to do that anymore. And I started investigating the Mormon Church, and uh, I thought that was there's something about it that felt stable to me. I think at seventeen, um, and um, and they were totally against me becoming Mormon completely because they they just thought it was the weirdest church. And so um, so I started investigating, and I got to also say the missionaries were very cute, and I was 17. <laughs> um, so I was in Florida, and then they moved back up to Pennsylvania. I went from Pennsylvania to Florida a bunch of times. So they moved back to Pennsylvania, and that's where I became a Mormon. I was baptized in New Jersey. And then my parents went to my baptism, and two months later, they became Mormon. Oh, wow. And then all of my Italian family became Mormon. So there was No like, way. Yeah, there was like... I don't know, 30 of them, that or something like my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my brother. Is that because of you? Um, I was, my, was, my parents were going around doing it all. I, I, was, in, I was at BYU by this point. Okay. So, um, so everybody just kind of became Mormon. So wow. it was like, like maybe 20, something like that, became Mormon. Um, and that, cha- that changed everything too, because by this time I was at BYU. And BYU was, I was becoming a little clearer because, you know, the church in Pennsylvania is very different, very different. than the church yeah. in Provo, Utah. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh man, this is, I, I, now all these people are joining. What am I going to do? Like, this is not the way they said they didn't, well, no, I joined, they didn't talk about racism. They didn't talk about misogyny. They didn't talk about, they didn't talk about much really. They just like, come in. It's this lovely family thing. So, um, and you know, when you're 17, you're not investigating too much because the missionaries are cute. So, <laughs> and that's sort of how I got into the church, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. And then okay. I went to BYU. And so you went to BYU, you were kind of a fish out of water at BYU? Totally though? fish out of water. Okay. At my, my second year at BYU, they, I got called in and they said, we think another university might be better for you. I think it may have been because I was hitchhiking to church and I was wearing, it was just, I, it wasn't a match. It just wasn't a match. And I, I realized it wasn't. So uh, that's, that's kind of well, what happened. Hitchhiking, don't you just go to, go to your classes to go to church? 
Down the, no, actually, you know, because the awards were all over the place back in 70. I mean, they were all oh. over Provo, right? But anyway, the whole thing is I, they said, we think another university would be better for you. And well, you should have come down the road. At, I know. Uh, Utah Tech at the time. Yeah, right? I should have, right? I don't even know if it was there, you know, yeah. or gone up to the U of U. But that, so that started. That was my entrance into into being a Mormon in the Wasatch Front. But you still, did you graduate from BYU? You know what? I never did graduate. I just, um, I didn't. I started working. Um, you know, I, I, part of it is I grew up pretty poor and there was not a lot of money. So I started working. And when I started working, I had to kind of work and and I just didn't go to school. I was paying for my my life and um, and then got married and and uh, when I was 26 because I continued to work. And then, and then put help. I actually put him through med school, and he. Um, and then I went back to school, went in right after I stopped working for Sunstone, and I was in school for a couple of years. Loved it, doing really well. But then I got kicked out of the church, and then I just started doing the when the getting kicked out of the church created a whole like talks. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff that went along with being kicked out of the church as a part of the September six. I was doing newspaper stuff and talks and all of that. And then I sort of, and then my marriage fell apart. And then I just didn't go back to school. And then I opened up a practice. Uh, I'm a life coach. I, I, did, I have read a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff around the psyche and Jung and Freud. From the time I was 17, I'd spent a lot of time really investigating the way the mind works. And then um, in 1990. See, it was what year? So 1993, when I got kicked out, I found a fantastic therapist who um, saw something in me, and I started doing attending a group uh, that is, teaches people how to do a particular kind of of counseling. So in the group, there are therapists and psychiatrists and psychologists. We've been in that group for 23 years every Thursday night, and he helped me open a practice, and now I'm a life coach. Okay. For lack of a better word, did you like lose your testimony in 1993 when they kicked you out? Or no, by by 1993, I think I was a little more aware of things, like that the church actually believed that God lived on a planet next to Kolob and had body parts and passions in a way that I hadn't understood before. But mostly the misogyny and the homophobia and the racism. I, to me, that was like, I couldn't understand why everybody wasn't up in arms with Packer giving that talk, for instance. Like, he was saying, we are misogynist. He was saying, we are homophobic. He was saying, we are anti-intellectual. In 1993, that would have been pretty common for most of the United States to be homophobic, though, wouldn't it? But don't, tell, but don't say that you're a, a church that, to me... Don't say that this is a church that is about love, because that's not about love. I don't give a crap what everybody was saying at the time. Because I'm trying know. to remember the political situation. It seems like that was when they passed the uh, Marriage Defense of Marriage Act in the Congress. In that the was Congress. going on, but also the ERA didn't pass. Well, that was back in the 70s. But that, but that was also the misogyny part. Okay. That Which, by the way, the church did everything it could to not pass that ERA. Right. And then the marriage. So there's a lot because it seems like we're condensing a lot of stuff. So you've got you got the ERA. Uh, but you're asking me why? What helped me? In yeah. 76, roughly eight, 78, 78. So 78. Does the church put you a big push to sh- shut to keep down women the in their place? <laughs> keep women in their place, as you say. And so, I mean, what about so 1978? 
It sounds like you you so you joined the church probably in 1970 or Nin- so? 1970. Oh, in 1970. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you probably recognize the racism between 70 and 78. Yeah, but not because, but, well, here's what's interesting. You know, I, I left and went to BYU. When BYU, there was, there was no color. Right. You know, it's like, so it didn't, it didn't really hit me. Right. Until, until a little while later when I started really like reading, reading stuff and understanding. To, to, but to say, let me just say this, let me think this so that I can be clear. To say, wasn't that the way the world was anyway? To me, is a church part of? Is it really the part of the world? It's the old. Uh, is it a? Is it a hospital? Or is it a social club? And the fact that a church that touts itself as Jesus is the the head of the church and it's all it's love and that, and then to have one of the authorities actually blatantly say that, and it, not just that, but when I was reading like the John Birchers, all of that stuff too, all of a sudden it was like we, this is not the church I thought it was. This church is not. This loving, kind, wonderful church—it has—it's as big of a mess as, as the rest of the world. And I know that's a little naive to think that it wouldn't be, but it woke me up, and I was, okay. I was like, "I—I'm going to go find something else," because I—I I don't want to be part of that. So, can you talk about your feelings of June 1978 when the revelation came to allow blacks to have the priesthood? Was that a good day? Was that a bad day? Well, it was a great day. I mean, don't get me wrong, but. What I found out from Mike Quinn was that it was kind of at the same time when they were doing temples in Brazil and no one knew who was black or white. Uh And so they didn't know what to do. And so this revelation came. And so do I believe it was a revelation? Probably not. I think it was convenient. And they had to do that. The church is a growing church. It's a proselyting church. Um, So I didn't... It was too convenient when you say too convenient were those your thoughts in 78 or did that come later well in 78 i wondered what was you know that's an interesting thing that now this is coming out you know Mm -hmm. the the reason why i ask you uh, matt harris is a professor at colorado state in uh, pueblo colorado yeah and he's he's got a new book coming out that i cannot wait (laughs) one of uh, theses that, that's going to come out is um, there were some apostles that were hardliners that, that were uh, that believed in the race ban and so President Kimball purposely announced the temple in 74 I think it was uh, to get apostles to say there's a big race problem in Brazil what are we going to do and so Matt's, Matt's... That's one way. I mean, it, it's possible. You know, it's possible. Of course, he wrote that lovely book, The Miracle of Forgiveness, Kimball. Kimball. So, I mean, I just, I don't have a lot of faith in them. I guess that's the bottom line, you know. <laughs> well, the fact that um, that that's even that was even a question, that there were hardliners about race in a, in this church, I'm, it just is, this doesn't work in my, the way the, I see the world. Okay, right? okay. It just doesn't work. Like, why would... Why wouldn't whoever was the, the the president of the church or the prophet of the church say this is ridiculous? We're this we're not going to do this. This is this does not this is not okay. Okay. And you know, I mean, it's still a problem, but you know. So is because we've also got the Equal Rights Amendment. President Kimball was against that, definitely. Um, did you know Sonia Johnson, or do you, you know? No, but I was influenced by Sonia Johnson. I, I mean, I gave a talk at Sunstone saying, you know, we're standing on her shoulders. As, as feminists, okay. you know, 
and um, and she was standing on other feminine. We all, you know, we all stand on each other's shoulders. But she was a real wake up for a lot of us. Well, that that was a wake up. Do you want to know what the actually big wake up was? Although Sonia was part of it, but it was um, who was the, I think it was it wasn't Kimball. It was in the '80s. Whoever was the president of the church might have been Benson. Benson talking gave a talk and he quoted Kimball I think saying women come home from the typewriter come home from the office come home and make beds and clean house for your family because that's what you're here to do and for a ton of us that's how Mormon Women's Forum got formed out of that talk oh because everyone watched it and were like wow like, that's actually the way you see women. That's what this church sees for women. But it was also, you know, like, don't come home from the, the attorney's office or anything, but come home from the typewriter, come home from the, you know, as if women were here just to serve. And I think that that was, it's a culmination of things. Okay. Think? Like, it builds on things. Because because what I'm hearing is, so, so late 70s, early 80s, the priesthood ban was removed, which while good, you were like, why did it exist in the first yeah. place? Yeah. ERA is going and you're like, women's rights, I believe in that. And then uh, it sounds like you were ahead of the nation, I'll say, as far as gay rights, because, uh, you know, Defensive Marriage Act was the early 90s. Bill Clinton, I remember, um, signed that into law. Um, and so we've got the kind of this bubbling up of... <laughs> Elder Packer would say the three threats to the church, gays, intellectuals, and, and homosexuals. Yeah, yeah, feminists and intellectuals and homosexuals, yeah. Yeah. Which is an interesting thing, right, to say. And so those were kind of causing you a lot of personal anguish, I guess, with the church? Well, part with the church, you know what, also, you know, women weren't giving prayers in sacrament until 78. I mean, they had taken a lot. Oh, there was one other thing that happened, too. Um, and which I think is okay to talk about now. Um, so at the time, there was, I'm trying to remember, who was the Relief Society president in the church? Diego was one of the counselors, and there was Elaine oh. Clyde, who was a counselor, and... and Sherry Do? No, Jack. Oh, Elaine uh, Jack. Elaine Jack. So we had a women, um, Mormon Women's Forum a meeting at my house, and Elaine Klein, Elaine Klein came to that meeting and said this to us. And this is when everybody was kind of waking up. She said um, they'd been in the Relief Society presidency for like three or four years or something. And Mrs. America, who was a Mormon, had just met with whoever the prophet was, which was... Miss America? Yeah, Mrs. America had Mrs. Met, America. With, met with... Was it Hinckley? Maybe Hinckley or Benson, one in of them. The Hinkley. 80s, it would have been either Kimball or Benson. No, no, Kimball, Kimball was gone. So Benson? Uh, Benson, it was the 90s. Oh. It was the 90s. Uh, that would have been after Benson Hink was Hunter. Yeah, but he didn't last long. It was Hinckley, I think. Hinckley, okay. Um, but I'm not sure. But whoever it was, she said, Mrs. America had just met with the prophet. She said, how often do you think the Relief Society president has met with this prophet? We've been in there for five years or something. We, oh. said, we said once a year. She said zero. Really? She said, we don't get to do that. We don't get to meet with him. In fact, they had been set aside. They, you know, the the things when they set people aside. The first, the first, um, 
I, I you guess mean set apart. Yeah, set apart, okay. uh, set aside, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but and, and I'm telling the story. It's so long ago. I don't think it'll matter. Um, but because their guys, those guys aren't even around anymore. But um, they had been set apart to as being in charge of all the women, and then whoever did that went out, and another general authority came in and said that was the wrong setting apart, and he set them apart to be only over them, so that in the past. If there was a problem in Ohio, the women could like decide they could go do that. But now, if there was a woman in Ohio that uh, women in Ohio who are having a problem, they had to go to the general authority and go through them in order to go out there. So they were they had lost a lot of their power. The Relief Society. The Relief Society, and um, so which was also really interesting for us. And I know that what they were hoping because they were really wonderful women, Aline and. Chaco were wonderful women. I mean, Chaco just said, "Hey, these people at Sunstone are just like, you know, kids in, ex, ex, you know, in, ex, in the um, uh, programs for smart kids. Why don't you just leave them alone?" <laughs> but um, I think they were hoping that we would push the envelope out a little bit for them, so they had some some movement. In fact, the day of my court, I got a call from Aline Clyde saying, "Please don't get excommunicated. We need you guys to do this thing. We want you to." move out the envelope so we have more room to move. Um, but This is Elaine Clyde Clyde from the releases, the yes. general release study presidency. Yes. yes. Um, and um, I also got a call from Connie Chung's people asking me if I would take any hidden camera, which I said no, but because uh, remember Connie Chung had a news report thing at that time. Yeah. She had called me the same day, but. Oh, wow. Um, but. Um, she was CBS News. Yeah, she was CBS News. It was yeah. interesting, but I said no. Um, but it was interesting because I could tell how much they loved the they loved the women of the church these women and they had every power was getting taken away from them and um, and so that was coming into us too we understood that more women's forum was becoming more and more aware of the limits of what was happening and and taking away instead of giving women more and more you know room to actually be who they are to to do that then that 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 kind of pushed us on as well okay Okay, so I, I think I get a better sense of the, the things that were Bubbling. bothering you um, from probably the late 70s. Cause it sounds, so when you first baptized, you came in, you didn't know anything. No. And then, I mean, can you think about when, when did you first, first notice that racism or sexism was a problem? Well, was, it, was it 78 when the church is... Is announced the rescission well, of the ban and the ERA. They're against the ERA. Well, let me also say this: when I became a Mormon, I was I look I was seven I was seventeen when I was investigating, eighteen when I joined. Okay. I looked very young, and so I went for my interviews, and no one asked me any sexual question at all. None. Well, those aren't typical baptism questions. Yeah, they are. Have you had sex? Oh. Well, that's, the law, that's you obey the law of chastity, yeah. I guess. Not, yeah. a, not a word. Really? Not a word. So when I went in for my patriarchal blessing, my bishop asked me those questions. And I looked at him and I said, I think you're a lecherous old man. This is none of your business. Oh. And he did not know. He said, no one's asked you these questions. And I said, no. So the, I, I came in not knowing a lot of this stuff. Okay. So that, I mean, it was really sh like shock after shock. It was, you know, I was at, like, Really? This, you you think that's your business? That is really weird, you know. So so I was reeling from that as well, just kind of like, okay, this is really different than huh. I thought. 
Um, the race thing, I'd always been aware of race issues, um, but because I was in I was in Provo and there were no people of color <laughs> at all, they really. They didn't even have any on the football team back then. I, I don't think so, right? So <laughs> nobody was, so it, it, it didn't sink into my consciousness until probably till the, I, maybe a couple years before understanding, wait a minute, there's a band you can't, you can't be, you can't even have a drop of blood and be Mormon, a drop of blood that they consider black and, in you know. Well, we would baptize them. We just wouldn't give them the priest. But you couldn't go to the temple. Right. Yeah. You couldn't do anything. You, you could, you know, it was ridiculous. It was just ridiculous. And so that stuff was really bubbling up to me as well. I'd spent my childhood reading about, well, reading about everything that I could possibly read, beginning with the Holocaust and then racism and then the Native Americans and understanding the, the, the problems. And for some reason, I don't know why, but because of the way the church presented itself, I thought it was a different, I thought it would be different. Mm -hmm. So it shocked me just a little bit that it wasn't. And that's kind of how it started. Okay. So, so you're wrestling in the 80s with feminism, racism, uh, uh, even gay rights? Even gay rights. Because I had a lot of gay friends by then. Okay. You know, you, you know, it's BYU with a lot of gay friends. Oh. Even back then, right? So, okay. um, yeah, I had gay friends. I had gay friends who killed themselves, actually, because mm. of the church and the standing. So the, all that stuff was, it was a pretty kind of tumultuous time with racism and, and misogyny and, and homophobia, all of that was part of what we were doing at Sunstone, was trying to raise the consciousness of how do we do this. And at that point, I really was hopeful that the church would kind of want to shift the way it, it was responding to people. Um, and, that, and so when we were doing it and we were having all these sessions, I kind of thought, well, this is, this is great. This is kind of working, right? This is like people are coming, we're talking about it. All of that, and then then they they went after the anybody who was a professor at BYU, which was, you know, trying to shut down Sunstone. Yeah, which yeah. they never did. <laughs> which they never did, but they tried, you know. But you know, it's this. You just you. It's so yeah. they told BYU professors you can't go to Sunstone yeah. anymore. Well, um, who got also kicked out of Cecilia? Do you remember Cecilia Far and uh, David Knowlton? They right after us. They were also kicked out of BYU. Like there's a lot of stuff. Like, it was almost like a, it was a purge. Mm -hmm. It was a purge going after anyone who wasn't really towing the line. Okay. Yeah. And so, and that was also like, we were, I was shocked. First of all, we were stay at home moms, a lot of us. So I couldn't figure out what they were so like all worked up about. Like we were just doing like stuff, right? I was raising kids and putting people through, you know, through his residency and all that kind of stuff. And what was the big deal? But apparently it was a big deal. Huh. Yeah. And so so basically when your church court happened, did you attend? Oh, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. so you attended, met in the bishop's office, he said... Well, because I was the first, I didn't know what... Nobody knew what was happening with, the, like, I was the first. Because you were the first one. Yes. And so then the dominoes started falling yeah, after you. They started getting... Which is, here's what's really funny... So, I, I mean, I go to church, I go to the church, I don't know what's going to happen. There are like a couple hundred people singing hymns outside with signs that say, Lynn is not a heretic, first of all. That was an interesting, like, moment. And then my, the, <laughs> two of my, uh, my, who are my uh, witnesses? 
Margaret and Levina were witnesses. Margaret, Margaret Descano and Levina were my witnesses. Uh-oh. These people who I adore beyond belief, right? But then they're like in there too. So here's the people who are standing up for me. And I was just, you know, after when everybody, when it started happening, it was just amusing. Like, well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. They're not, that's not going to hold any water. But I was so happy that they did it. You know, we had, I had like five, witnesses. So my father at one point looked at the bishop and said, if you excommunicate my daughter, you know, because he was a very big Mormon believer by that time. But uh, anyway, so it was, when I look back and see that, it's pretty funny. Okay. So, okay, so you had the church court, the bishop didn't have the heart to excommunicate you. He said, I'm going to go the soft route. I'm going to disfellowship me. But at that point you were like, you know what? If you don't like me, I don't like you. I'm done with this. Well, other things happened, you know, things began happening. Um, part of it was I found this amazing therapist and okay. I started really working with that. And, and, and then my marriage fell apart and I... Is that because of your ex- or you weren't ex- well, but because of the punishment? Well, church punishment? I think it was more because we got married after knowing each other for four months got, and had three kids really fast and went to med school and I mean, all of that was really... When you look at that, we were 20, in our 20s, we're stupid, you know, just put so much on our plate. That's part of it. He was a much, he was an introvert, and I was, that was a pretty extroverted experience, and so I think that was difficult for him because the phone was ringing constantly, and I was running the symposium, like there were always people at our house, so that, there was partly that. You can't blame it, I couldn't, would never blame it just on that. It was a, it was a, you know, the perfect storm of this is what's going to happen. So when that fell apart, I had, and then and then I was supposed to have alimony till I was sixty five, but he got Parkinson's a few years after we got a divorce, and so oh. I ended up not having alimony, and I had to figure out a way to financially take care of myself. And I, I have a natural gift of working with people, and so I started I started a practice, and um, so you know that's kind of the what happened. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Lynn Whitesides, the first member of the September 6th. Our next conversation with Lynn is going to be our last, so be sure you sign up to our free newsletter so I'll send you a secret link to the final part of our conversation. Sign up at gospeltangents.com newsletter, and we'll talk a little bit about how the family reacted to her becoming a member of the September 6th. Actually, it was really difficult for me because my parents did not have my back. They... Oh. They said that, you know, I probably never believed the church in the first place and that they were, they, they, they sided with the church, which was very difficult for me. Um, and, um, and then my father had a near-death experience. And when he had his near-death experience, everything changed. If you'd like to hear the entire interview uncut, subscribe on either Patreon or at GospelTangents.com. For just $5 a month, you can hear the entire audio uninterrupted. On our $10 tier, if you'd like to see the whole video, you can see that uh, either on YouTube.com slash GospelTangents, or I've got a special Facebook group devoted for uh, full videos. So subscribe at GospelTangents.com and uh, sign up for just $10 a month. For $20 a month, if you'd like to get some bonus content, uh, maybe some of the stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor, you can sign up for that. And then if you'd like to talk to me for $100 a month, we'll, we'll do a monthly phone call on something like Zoom. 
and you can ask me anything you want. So thanks again. Also, don't forget about the merch, mugs, t-shirts, um, hats, things like that. I'm trying to get the ties up there. Hopefully I can get up, up there. And uh, thanks again for watching Gospel Tangents and click here for some more videos. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.